the New Testament. <clears throat> we are at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 7 through 10. This also is God's holy word. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 5, verse 1 through verse 16. <clears throat> Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But, sexually immoral, but sexual, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, <clears throat> nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. Sorry, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. <clears throat> May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our loving God, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father, that you indeed are our loving Heavenly Father, that you have called us to imitate you. And Father, we pray that we would not partner with those who delight in wickedness, who delight in opposing you. Father, that we would not be yoked uh, with the world. Father, help us to see that uh, friendship with the world is enmity with you. Father, turn us away from the deceptions of this world. Let them not define for us the values that you've given us. Father, we pray that you would remind us that you have called us, that we are children of light, that we are light in the Lord. Father, we pray that we would delight in you, that you've called us to a new, to a better life. And Father, help us to see that this is not a mere outward change in us, to go from darkness to light, that this is not our own doing. It is your doing. And Father, we pray that we would rejoice and give thanks to you, for you indeed are the one who gives new life. Father, help us to trust in you. We pray, Father, that the good news of the gospel would go forward this day, that your Holy Spirit would indeed be powerful to transform lives. We pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, that he would be exalted, and we pray that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to do something completely different. 
I'm going to start the sermon with a joke. <clears throat> so a, a rope walks into this bar, and the bartender says, listen, we don't serve, we don't serve ropes. Get out of here. <clears throat> so the rope goes outside. He hides behind a corner, makes some changes, and he comes back. The bartender looks at him and says, hey, you're that same rope again. And he looks back and says, no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> Here, we think about how the work of our God in transforming man from darkness to light, from spiritual death to spiritual light, life, spiritual life. We think about how the work of regeneration, being given spiritual birth, it's not a mere outward change. It's not a, a matter of a rope tying a knot. It's not a matter of any outward thing that changes. It's not growing out of a phase of life. Here, when God says there in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Here, he's saying that he is the one who has done a mighty work in you. That the old ways of darkness, you must not continue. He has called you to a far better life. And that for each one of you, may it not be the case that you think the previous life was better. The treasures, the pleasures, the friendships, the identities. May we say continually, as we walk in God's light, that we would say, everything that the Lord has given me. This new life is far, far better. And in fact, it's so much better that I look forward to an eternity with the Lord Jesus. Here we think about the, the truth presented in this book of Ephesians. It presents our Lord Jesus, that he's our glorious Savior. And it speaks about how Jesus Christ's bride is the church. That he's called us indeed to a new and a better life. That we would be the light of this world. That how we live, how we live, says volumes about who it is that we worship. Because what we believe about God will be shown by how you and I live in our everyday life. Here we think about the pattern of instruction that the Apostle Paul has given us. That we ought to walk as imitators of God. That we ought to walk in love. Here we think about the partnering or partaking of, of the old ways. And there must necessarily be a leaving of those behind. So the truth that we see is that God calls you to leave darkness and separate from it. By walking as children of light, well pleasing to him. God calls you to leave darkness and separate from it by walking as children of light, well-pleasing to him. We'll look at this in four points. The first is the separation for children of light in verse 7. Second, the transformation of ch for children of light in verse 8. The characteristics of children of light in verses 8 and 9. And then fourth, the desire of children of light in verse 10. So let's look at this first point, the separation for children of light in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. 
do not become partners with them. <clears throat> we have the broader context is that the Apostle Paul has transitioned from the indicatives of what God has done for you in Ephesians 1 through 3 to the imperatives, this is what you must do for the Lord in Ephesians 4 through 6. We see also the immediate. The immediate context is that of walking in love as dearly loved children, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is in five, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Then he gives the warnings about sexual immorality and impurity in verses 3 through 6. Immorality is improper among saints, not even to be named. And here the clarification is needed that saints uh, is not conferred by the church with sainthood. A saint is every Christian. Every single Christian is a saint. We're set apart by God. We're not set apart by the church. There's not filthy talk or crude joking, but rather the giving of thanks, the praising of God. So then it's, it's not only impure actions, it's impure talk with the attempt to, to, to lead to impure actions, that even filthy talk and crude joking are improper, but rather we ought to give thanks to God. Then he gives in the, sec in the previous section two warnings. The first warning, the sexually immoral have no inheritance in Christ's kingdom. So he's saying, if you're going to live this way, you will have no inheritance in Christ. That's verse, verse 5. And then he gives a second warning. God's wrath remains on the immoral, the impure, the covetous, for they are sons of disobedience. God's wrath remains on them. That's verse 6. So here we have in verse 7, basically following on those verses, a negative command. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them or partakers with them. So we ought not to share in their sin, their guilt, or the internal punishment that comes with it. In other words, if you participate in their sins, you will also bear the same guilt, your own guilt, and you will suffer the same eternal punishment. Rather, Christ commands that you not be partakers with them, but that you be partakers with the Lord Jesus. And in it, you forsake your sins. He bears your guilt. And Christ shares with you his eternal inheritance, and he prepares a place in heaven for you. Do you see the difference in the partnership? You partner with the world and their ways. It leads to sin judge guilt and eternal judgment you partner with christ it requires that you identify with him that you walk in the light as he is in the light he is the one who bears your guilt you forsake your sins he bears your guilt he shares with you his internal inheritance here this idea of sin guilt eternal punishment it raises an important question for you as a Christian. The requirement for Christians to have foresight. You realize as a Christian, you're someone who's required to think about tomorrow. And not only tomorrow, but the next year, the next 10 years, eternity. Here, 
we need to think about how the typical person of the world thinks. You do these surveys, you read these articles, and it sounds pretty grim. How little people plan for the future. How little they plan to save up for tomorrow. That I remember having talking to a banker, and he said simply that uh, if people are given some kind of inheritance or they get a raise, he says they just live a little better. There's no thinking ahead of, you know what, uh, this job that I have that requires manual labor, I might not be able to do it forever, but I'll still need to eat. Meaning these hands and these legs, this back of mine, we won't be able to do that forever. We need to think ahead about the future. For you as a Christian, thinking about 10 years and 20 years should be easy. Thinking about 50 years should be easy because you're already thinking about eternity. Here, consider some of these warnings. The Apostle Paul addresses it. When he speaks about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Other verses talk about tomorrow will be just like today, even better. Let's drink, eat and drink and get drunk, and tomorrow will be like today, only more so. For those of the world, they only think about the now. The pleasure has to do with the now. Planning ahead is part of your new nature as a Christian. For, as Ecclesiastes says, that we were made for eternity. There's eternity in our hearts. There's a longing for eternity. You think about your choices then. Therefore, do not become partners with them. What about your choices? How will your choices and your values, your decisions affect your tomorrow, your next year, the next 10 years, the next 50 years, your eternity? As a Christian, it's required that you have foresight, the foresight to look forward, not just for your life here. That should be easy. That should be simple. We should be thinking about eternity, where you will be spending eternity. Will it be with the Lord? Then you and I must be partnering with him. He is the one who sets us free from the bondage to sin and death. We think also about this issue regarding partners. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Here, <clears throat> some people will start to ask the question, well, are you saying, or is Paul saying that we, we can have no interactions with non-Christians? No, he's not saying that at all. In fact, he addresses that very point in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So he's saying, we're not saying that you cannot interact with non-Christians. Our life requires it. You go to the store, your employment, uh, the people you work with, the people you work for, whatever's the case, that we're, we're part of this world. He's talking about adopting the world's values, their worldview, their perspective, 
their activities, their habits. He also says that we ought to be very careful about calling brothers those who claim to follow Christ and also engage in these sins, meaning they justify those sins, that we ought not to partner with them, we ought not to call them brothers. Our time with them is not fellowship. We ought to be very careful about that. Here, <clears throat> Peter also warns, 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 5, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do, not, you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Meaning that they're surprised. You don't enjoy the same things, and when you don't, we're told here, and they malign you, meaning they speak ill of you. They speak horribly about you. This is expected. They're going to make mockery of you. They're, they're going to call you all kinds of horrific names. But, you know, give it, give it a thought for a moment and move on with life. Because Christ has called you to a far better life. And just because some other person says all kinds of horrific things about you doesn't mean you need to reconsider how you're living in Christ. Because Christ has called you to a better life. So this is the first point, separation for children of light, that we ought not to be partners with those of the world. We have the second point, the transformation for children of light. There in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Here the ESV has it correct. For at one time you were darkness. Other versions say sometimes you were darkness, as in sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. No, this is a transition. At one point, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is a better translation, a far better one. Here, we think about doctrine, and we're into, we passed Ephesians 4, but you realize that the use of doctrine did not end in Ephesians 1 through 3. We're constantly going back to it. You think about the very principle of doctrine being the basis for all the commandments, all the imperatives that we have in Scripture. And here the Apostle Paul is basing these commandments on this doctrine. It's, we're unable to avoid it. The conversation yet again, you were once darkness and now you are light in the Lord. Here, this doctrine is the foundation of the commandments that he gives here. How you live has everything to do with the God that you believe and your new life in Jesus Christ. Here, this is what you once were, we're told. You were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. So that you understand this change from darkness to light. It's not, not a mere outward change. So you, however often you go to the barber or your hairstylist, you get a haircut. It's not the same thing as going from darkness to light. It's not, it's not when you realize, oh, my face feels a little rough. I need to go get a facial. 
This is not a change from darkness to light. Some people think of Christianity as a phase of life. Some of these friends that I had in college. Here you look at how they had, you know, in, in college, living on campus, you're around your friends all the time. And then they were active in the on-campus Christian fellowship, whichever one that was. And then after they got out of college, that phase of life ended. So Christianity for them was just a phase of life. It cannot be that way. You think about how some in the past, they lived in darkness, and they think that it was a phase of life that they grew out of naturally. I, I was in darkness, and now I, I'm going to change to the light. Just as some people would say, oh, yeah, as a child, I once liked cartoons, or I liked to play on the seesaw or the swings or whatever it is. And, and, and then after a while, you know what? I just, it was a phase of life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gone with it. No, it's not the result of mere human choice, this matter of darkness to light. It's not one day you got up and you decided that you would exchange darkness for light. So what is this darkness? Notice that the scriptures do not say that you were once living in darkness. It says you were darkness. There's a huge difference here. It's not that you weren't living in darkness. You were before Christ. But it's saying something far worse. Living in darkness describes a man's environment. The places he would go, where he would frequent. It describes his outward behavior, what comes out of a person. Jesus talked about it's not what goes into a person that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of him that makes him unclean. So if you're living in darkness, it's, it's what's around you. But you chose to walk there. It comes out in your behavior. Being darkness is a function of your nature. It has everything to do with man's nature. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he addresses this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Here we think about the description of life outside of Christ. And I warn you, that was a very grim life very grim life. John Calvin describes darkness as the whole nature of man before regeneration, before God's work, before God gave spiritual birth. So in contrast to being dead in trespasses and sins, which is darkness, light is the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. So here, perhaps, you're wondering then, if, if it's not a mere outward change, it's not a phase of life, then how does one become light in the Lord. Well, it's by the sovereign power of God that he gives spiritual life to dead sinners. And he alone is the one who does this mighty work. Dead men, dead men cannot give themselves spiritual life. Here, Ephesians, sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, the apostle Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Here, we're reminded that ministers, elders, parents, family members, friends, that we are all 
together powerless to do that work. And we all must be reminded of it often. Here, we're reminded about the scriptures that speak about the word. James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of God's will he brought us forth, and he did it by the means of the word of God. So you ask the question, when does this spiritual birth or this regeneration happen? Spiritual birth typically happens when the word of God is preached or read. You see that in the scriptures. You see that in, in real life. In Acts 16, verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. That there, they were gathered by the river for prayer, and Paul began speaking, and the Lord opened her heart that she would receive the, the word that he was speaking. Same in Romans chapter 10, how will they believe unless someone is sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here, this concept of darkness to light. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That we ought to be reminded that we ought to pray often. That we ought to pray often when we gather for worship, when we sit under the preaching of the word, the teaching of his word, the reading of his word. Here, we're reminded the word of God is going to do one of two things when men encounter it. Either it will harden you or it will soften you and give you life. For those who reject it, there's a constant hardening. There's going to be a saying, you know what, that applies to everyone else but me. You know, that Jesus that he keeps talking about, I don't need him. All those thoughts are going to be going through your head as the word of God is being preached and shared. So you and I, for ourselves first, that we should be praying. When we gather for the word, grant me the heart to receive it as a humble sinner. Because I am the one who needs it most. And then after that, you would think, oh, where's that other guy? Pray that he's here, that he would hear it. But that you and I would be those who admit we're the ones who need it most. That when the word is going forward, when the word is going out, we need to have the humility to receive it. Here, we think about what this looks like. When we talk about the hardening, we talk about what this looks like in real life. We have a description of that in John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his, work, his works have been carried out in God. No one likes having their deeds exposed. So men hate the light. They don't come to the light. This is why when you talk to people, hey, would you like to have a Bible study with us? No, don't want that. Right? There's fear of the light. Well, why? Because it's going to expose my darkness. Right? This is why 
people who are ill. You, you'll see this in the hospital, right? Hey, they, they show up to the hospital. Hey, I'm sick. I need a doctor. It's a physical illness because they're saying, I'm going to die. I need a doctor. But then what about spiritually? No, 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 no. I'm not. Last place I'm going is that spiritual hospital, the church, right? Where the word of God is preached and taught. But instead, we should be those who say, this is what we need. When you're sick, you need a doctor. When there is sin, we need the word of God to expose our sin and to point us to our Savior, who is Jesus Christ. So this is a transformation for children of light. We have the third point, the characteristics of children of light. In verses 8 and 9, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here, we think about the description of the old self. This is, this is the, the drive down memory lane, Ephesians 4, 17 and 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But you did not learn Christ in that way. So that's the old self. We think about the new self who is created in the image of God, Ephesians, Ephesians 4.24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here we think about how man is created in the image of God. Animals are not created in the image of God. And it has nothing to do with walking on four feet or walking on two feet because God does not have feet. We're not created in, in his physical image because God has no body. Jesus has a body, but the Holy Spirit, the Father, don't have a body. Before, before the incarnation, Jesus had no body either. We're created in the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And we have in this verse a description of that. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So goodness, God's holiness, right, righteousness, and true, knowledge. Colossians 3 verse 10 speaks about this knowledge. And I've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Righteousness is obedience to God's commandments. Our elder read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18, he gives these contrasts, and he, he speaks about these various contrasts. What fellowship... Oh, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? So there, righteousness is contrasted with lawlessness. What fellowship with light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Here, righteousness is, is coupled with lawlessness as opposites. So, Righteousness means obedience. It means obedience to his commands, because that's the opposite of lawlessness. 
Holiness is goodness and purity and all of those things. And you think about knowledge. What good is knowledge of what is false? Knowledge, of course, refers to believing what is right and true. We have in this passage the command, walk as children of light. As children of light, you have been created. You've been given birth. You've been created in knowledge, which is the truth, righteousness and holiness, which is goodness. For you are to walk as children of light, just as Jesus walked. And it means to follow your heavenly Father. Be active in living your new life in Jesus Christ, adopting his new ways, which are contrary to the world's. Don't expect that the world will understand you. Don't expect that the world will accept you. Here, when you think about this knowledge, understand that the world is its own evangelist. And I'm not talking about evangelizing with the gospel. The, the world is its own evangelist, meaning they're evangelizing their falsehood. Don't expect that the truth of God's word will be blurted out from all the major news stations, all the internet sites, or whatever, right? It's not going to be mainstream. What's mainstream, you want to question. The world is constantly speaking and teaching its falsehood. Here, you think about how Satan works. The Apostle Paul says, we are not unfamiliar with his devices. At times... He simply says opposites. You will not surely die. Well, God says, if we eat of this fruit, we will surely die. Oh, you will not surely die. Other times, he realized, aha, I, I can't be playing the game of opposites because these, these are churchgoers. I, I have to you know, use a little bit of deception here. So, so let's just take, take this cyanide pill and just coat it with some, some uh, half-truths and, and quote a few scriptures in there and throw it in there and see, see, what, they, see what they do with it. Here, you think about how deception comes. You think about how the world takes Christian virtues like love and mercy and justice, and they redefine those terms, and they expect you to adopt their definitions of those terms. As if, as if they were the ones who made up those words. No, God is the one who gave us language. He's, give, he's given us the scriptures that have defined those words for us. We, we don't adopt the world's definition of those terms. And, and nor would we expect that the world would adopt our definition. They're opposites. It's light and darkness. You have to accept that. Here you think about how the world, part of selling their falsehood, the one who controls the narrative controls the truth. Be careful about swallowing their narrative. That's what it means. Be careful about swallowing their narrative. The one who controls the narrative controls the truth. Don't adopt their definitions. Don't adopt well, when, when you say, well, this is love. God says this is love. That we ought to, we got to rebuke those who are living in sin, who are claiming to be Christians. The world comes by and says, hey, that's legalism. When you're telling people that they can't, they can't do what they feel is right, that you mean I, I can't just do what I want to do? 
You mean this? It feels so right. What, what, what are you talking about? This is wrong. And and here God has given us what is right and true. And then they tell you, well, this is hate. You're hating them. No, this is love. It's loving to tell people that when they're engaging in danger and sin, that it's dangerous for their souls. So you think about living according to knowledge, righteousness, and truth, that this is what it means to be children of light. So this is the fourth, we have the fourth point, the desire of children of light in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Here we think about who God is. God is the one who has given you new life in his only begotten son, who is Jesus Christ. Here, the greater that you come to understand the depth of your sin, the greater you realize how great God's gift is to you. If you are a small sinner, then you will think that God gave you a small savior in his son and that you will not appreciate him very much. But the greater you come to realize the depth, the gravity, the depravity of your sin, you come to realize, no, Jesus is not a small savior. He is an exceedingly great savior. It's not as if he saves you any less. He saved you the same amount. It's just you and I come to a greater realization of it. And so our response to him will change. Well, that which I wasn't willing to sacrifice, that which what I wasn't willing to do, you and I are to the point where we ought to say, wow, the Lord saved even me. The Lord saved you. That we should desire to serve him all the more and please him in all respects. In Isaiah 60, <clears throat> we're told that the sun shall be no more. Your light by day, for brightness shall the moon give you, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. This is Jesus who was to come. You think about in, in the book of Revelation, how it speaks of there will be no more sun, because God will be the light. Our Lord Jesus will be that light. You think about little children. Little children how quick they are to imitate the ways of their parents, of their father. And all except maybe these teen years where they want to be completely opposite of their, of their father, that little children want to imitate their father. And this is the very thing that the scriptures speak of here and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That the Lord here reminds us that we ought to seek what pleases him. Well, will the world accept me if I do this? No. They're going to give you some, uh, they're going to give you some minor words. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, they're going to keep, this is what we see in scholarship, Christian scholarship, where the, the Christian scholars want the respect of the secular scholars. And they're always going to tell them, no, you've got to come this, this far, this far. And each time you take that step, they're saying, no, you've got to be farther before we will accept you. There's no, there's no winning in that game. There's only losing. Here, you think about pleasing God our Father. This is what's most important. 
This is why we need to stop worrying about what the world will think of us. We should discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not be partakers in the sins of the world. Otherwise, you will share in their guilt and their everlasting punishment. There is the need for discernment. That Satan can defeat some people with outright lies. And others, he must coat with the some truths, the half-truths, the uh, wrong application, interpretation of scripture of that sort. And you know that he has you hooked when you're going back to the scriptures to justify the lies of this world. So you have an idea, this needs to be the outcome. The world has told me this. Let me go back to the scriptures to find justification for that falsehood. You've already lost. Here, you think about right questions. Right questions that children of the light should be asking. The right questions are not these. How far can I go in this morally questionable activity and not be in sin? If you're asking that question, I'll read the wrong question. Perhaps someone is asking you those questions. Hey, uh, how are you spending your time here? Or, uh, hey, we missed you. Hey, what's, uh, why do we miss you? Perhaps there's a defensiveness in claiming I can engage in these worldly activities or behaviors and still be a Christian. So I can do this and still be a Christian. These conversations are headed the wrong way. The right questions that you as children of light should be asking begins with that negative question. Is this behavior or activity subjecting you to deception and then to bondage? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. If you're going to engage in those activities, is it subjecting you to bondage? Will this behavior or this activity hinder you from running the race well? Will this behavior activity help you towards spiritual maturity? Is it, gonna, is it going to be helpful for your spiritual life? And perhaps the other question would be this. How will this activity enhance your witness for Christ or open the doors for such witness? If we're asking the right questions, how will these activities enhance it? Are we looking for opportunities that we might be a blessing to others. Here, you and I are called children of light. We are light in the Lord. And he calls us that we would live according to this new life that he, we have received in Jesus Christ. May we delight in it. May we call upon our Lord in faith. May we trust that he has given us exceedingly great promises in his Son. May we delight that he has given us his Holy Spirit who leads us on that straight and narrow path. May we go to our God together in prayer.